The world of social media is both a must and a huge risk for businesses today. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. If you're selling something to the public, you can't escape Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any number of other means of communicating with your audience over the web. Social media is, in a word, essential for getting your message to buyers. But it's also a trap if you misuse it or underestimate its power. Today, we'll talk about the risks inherent in social media with Beth Haddock. She is CEO and founder of Warburton Advisors and author of the book Triple Bottom Line Compliance, How to Deliver Protection, Productivity, and Impact. We'll review the many ways in which your social media presence can go awry, including the possibility of angering customers, committing libel or slander, violating consumer protection laws, and running afoul of financial regulators. So let's learn how to swim in social media without it becoming a quagmire. Here is my conversation with Beth Haddock. Beth Haddock, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Pleasure to be here. Beth, as you know, social media platforms are absolutely ubiquitous these days, but are they essential to business? I think they are. If you really want to be able to connect with your current client base or to make sure that your business is sustainable and growing, if you would like it, you really need to have a brand and an online presence. Okay. So if we really can't live without them on the business side as well as on the individual side, you have pointed out some of the pitfalls, though, of businesses that do participate in social media platforms. Can you outline for me what are some of the risks of using social media platforms in a business context? Sure. It's the same type of risks that a business is going to face. If they just went out and did marketing without any kind of planning, when you're talking about a social media presence or a proactive campaign, you want to make sure you understand what your ultimate objective is. And then from a compliance perspective, if you're in the financial services industry or just more generally, if you are going to be gathering personally identifiable information, those are two hot button issues from a government risk and compliance perspective. And as you know, that's really my expertise on the compliance realm. And those are things that I would want your audience to really focus on. In fact, you warn that social networking can become what you call a legal quagmire. Could you explain what you mean by that? If you just go right out the gate and you don't have any planning and you're not thinking about whether or not there are applicable laws, regulations that might apply, or you're just gathering a, a prospecting list of prospective clients and you don't think about privacy and data protection, Something that can be very good and essential for your business ends up creating risks. 
not just legal and compliance risk, but also reputational risk. I understand a privacy aspect of it, of course, because that's been a huge issue lately. But what are some of the other areas of social media use where the government or regulators are concerned? Can you talk a little bit about what kinds of regulations that a company could be in danger of violating in its improper use of social media? Two, I think, are relevant for your wider audience. And then there's another one that is really just focused on financial-related businesses. So the two general ones, one would be if you are commenting or if you're out there on social media and you have an opinion, say you have a blog, you would need to worry about slander or defamation or somehow interfering with another's business. And you open yourself up to legal liability and can look up where a photographer, some clients of a photographer went online to say uh, negative things about her services. And the photographer was able to win a lawsuit, a defamation lawsuit, and win quite a bit of money from this disgruntled group. And it really does show you that if you go online and you complain or you go online and you have a blog and you have an opinion, and your opinion is not substantiated in fact, you open yourself up to that liability. This company in question had hired a photographer and was unhappy with that photographer's performance and then posted something on social media that was derogatory to that? Yeah, yeah, and that's what happened. And then the photographer said, you know, your comments were not valid. They were inaccurate, and they were mm -hmm. slandering me. As you know, there are pretty strict rules that determine slander or libel as opposed to just the use of free speech or opinion, but it must have crossed the line somehow, or at least it was in danger of crossing the line to the point where it did harm the original company, right? Yeah, it's that torturous business intervention that's really the issue. So if, let's just say, you said something that was derogatory about a business, but there was no impact to the business. That's a different scenario than the one I was just using as an example, because in that one, this photographer did end up having a major hit to her business because of the negative comments that were posted on social media. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, you could put something on Yelp that would be the same sort of thing, and a person who was criticizing a photographer's services on Yelp would probably not be subjected to the same strict rules, would they? Because you, you see those kind of comments on social media that are not propagated by businesses. They come from individuals. And people do that kind of stuff all the time online. So any of the legal and compliance risks, and I do sort of get in this with my book, Triple Bottom Line Compliance, which is that it really does depend on the facts and circumstances. When you're talking about routine reviews, like in Yelp, that's pretty different than this scenario about the risks of slander and the like. And in those facts and circumstances in this photographer case, it wasn't just someone going on a review app and giving a review. They were proactively basically adopting a social media campaign that was designed to hurt this photographer's business, and that was what the legal claims were about. You were talking about a second type of situation then, 
Could you describe what, what you mean by a, another example for me of this? Yeah, so if you're a business owner and you're using social media, you also want to make sure each state, as well as the federal government, have consumer protection laws. So if you're going to talk about how wonderful your business is, you open yourself up to liability under the consumer protection laws. If either you offer something for free and it's not truly for free, there's some sort of tie in there. Or if you say something that is inaccurate, or if you leave out a material omission of facts such that you have these sort of sales practices that you're using social media for, and it's not 100% fair and honest with the general public. So the first one is slander or defamation. The second one is consumer protection laws. And then more specifically for anyone involved in financial services, the alphabet soup of regulators have very strict requirements. So whether it's the SEC or FINRA or the CFTC or even non-U.S. regulators have the same type of very specific requirements as to how one can use social media when you are talking about investing retirees' monies or really sort of promoting any kind of financial product. Once again, backing up for a moment to the consumer protection part of it, are there not the same exact rules that apply to a company when it's advertising? Yeah, they are. And a lot of the social media risks are just the next generation of the risks that are affiliated with marketing and advertising and branding. So a company should not think that just because it's uh, kind of playing around on social media in what appears to be a more informal setting, that they should not think that they are any more protected from compliance than they were if they had launched a formal ad campaign or formal marketing campaign. Same rules then, right? Yeah, and in some respects, it's a higher risk because for a paper campaign, you don't have as wide a breadth of audience, so you'd be the victim of your own success. You have a wider audience, but there really are professional standards that apply for your communications with the public, whether it's Mm. an old-fashioned medium or you're using social media. Now, on the financial side, we have what may be a very good example of what you're talking about that happened just the other day. Elon Musk tweeted that he was considering taking Tesla private, which shocked everybody because that is generally not the way you make an announcement about a multi-billion dollar company's decision to make such a dramatic move. Although in the wake of that announcement, he was forced to step down from the chairmanship of Tesla. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Well, it's a little different, super interesting, agreed, Bob, which is when you have a big change of control of a corporation or something material for a publicly traded company like Tesla, you have to be really careful about fair disclosure, some of the concepts we talked about. But interestingly enough, social media could have been his friend this time because you have to make sure that everyone has the same quality of information. So going to Twitter and tweeting means that every single shareholder at the same time was able to understand. But what you've been hearing in the aftermath is what did the board know beforehand and was it adequate 
but we certainly saw the market reaction. Now, I believe you touch on this question of mixing professional and private accounts within a company. Talk about the risk of that and, and what companies should do to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's very prudent to have two different silos. And really, when one is in the work environment, it is different than your personal life. And that's the same whether it's a virtual environment online with social media or physically in the office or even working remotely from the office. So my recommendation is to keep them separate. And of course, if you're in a regulated industry, as I had referred to, it's a hard requirement. So your financial advisor, your broker, your insurance agent will either likely have two different phones or will be very limited in what they're posting or sharing or commenting on and social media in order to adhere to those more stringent requirements. Do you have to be more careful if you're an executive of a company versus if you're just any employee of a company with regard to the use of a private account that might therefore be interpreted as a more professional communication? Yeah, and I think your Tesla example is a good one. A very senior leader really doesn't have the discretion to separate that much. And if they're going to go out into the public realm on social media. It's really going to be attributed to their leadership role. And you do see some big thought leaders who do mix it together. But my understanding is when they mix it together, they're doing so on a company Twitter account or a company LinkedIn account or a company Facebook account, just to give three examples of social media. And that is one way that I think is a really good way to strike the balance. If you're so senior that you cannot separate it, use the company account, which comes along with it, the infrastructure and the careful review of social media posts before they go live. Certainly, it would be too much to ask for a large company to control all of its employees' use of social media in their personal accounts. You really can't do that, can you? Well, under the financial industry requirements, that I've been alluding to, yes, you can, and you have to, and you really do it with like a three-point plan. One, you have policies and procedures that require this separation and require good judgment, which means one cannot mention the company or the company's services or products in their private social media presence. Two, you have employees certify or affirm periodically, perhaps quarterly, perhaps annually, that they are adhering to those policies. And then three, there are a lot of really great software companies out there that help large companies that have these requirements, and they have monitoring and surveillance tools, and they look for red flags, and perhaps after the fact, they can see whether employees are not acting in accordance with the policies and as certified to, and then they do take action if employees are not following the policies as they should be. We've talked about companies having to take care when it comes to commenting on the performance of their vendors. But then on the other hand, at the other end, we certainly have the possibility of angry and disgruntled clients using social media as a way to get back against a company whose services they deem to be unsatisfactory. 
you can't stop a disgruntled customer from declaring his opinion on social media. So how do you deal with that to protect your brand and your company? Yeah. And as you know, I have a governance and consulting business and I'm also a licensed attorney and my clients will come to me and ask those questions. And I would encourage your audience to do the same. See an opinion from an outside advisor that you trust. And in many cases, it makes more sense to simply ignore those types of comments than it does to respond to them. But it really depends on the facts and circumstances. Yeah, well, you know, it seems the other thing seems to be happening now more on Yelp. More and more you see companies responding, engaging with bad reviews. They'll chime in after a bad review, say, I'm very sorry you had a bad experience. We hope you will come back. And, and that seems somehow to alleviate it if, if that person feels like as angry as they are. To have that response come directly to them after their review, does that not kind of help to kind of smooth the waters a little bit and make it a little easier to continue without damage to your company? I do think there are going to be circumstances where it's like, Yelp is one, but there are lots of other ones. Uh, Say someone posts something on Wikipedia or Glassdoor. But I do think having a very generic response that says something like what you described, there's really no harm to that, except if the person comes back again. But then I do think that the online community can take what they may from someone that keeps coming back to you as long as sort of the mantra or the generic response is prescripted, you've consulted with your outside advisor. And as you said, it says something like, we're very sorry. I've seen, you know, you can reach out to X. And if you reach out to that person, we'll make sure that we address your concerns. That type of a thing can be very helpful. Of course, the more malignant threat of social media to a company is the possibility of it becoming an avenue for cyber attacks and hackers. To what degree is that an actual threat and what can companies do to guard against that? Interesting. The cyber and privacy risks are generally for any kind of e-commerce as well as using social media for your marketing or your branding campaigns. There's a couple of things. One is how good is your firewall? Another one is are you collecting personally identifiable information of your prospects or your customers? And if you are, you could set yourself up for having additional risks. So one thing to do would be to make sure that you have an adequate firewall, to make sure that you have a plan for what you would do if you did have some sort of a breach. And then to make sure that even if you're a small business and you aren't able to have dedicated IT resources, at least annually, you do some sort of a reach out with a third party who will help you because the sophistication of the hackers is evolving. And I really think everyone's business is too important to ignore this risk. So social media, absolutely necessary, but also equally necessary to be aware of the risks, the compliance factors, the regulatory factors, the legal factors. It sounds like a lot to keep in mind, but Beth Haddock, I'm so glad that you were with us to help outline some of these issues. You are, of course, the author of the book, Triple Bottom Line Compliance, How to Deliver Protection, Productivity, and Impact. I will link to that book in the show notes to this episode. But in the meantime, Beth, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks a lot. 
My pleasure. Thank you, Bob, for having me. That was my conversation with Beth Haddock of Warburton Advisors, talking about the risks of businesses engaging in social media. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.